Well, good morning. Good morning. That was pretty good. Good morning. <laughs> it's early. Oh, yeah. You lost an hour, but see, you stayed home so you didn't have to come to first service and get to make up your hour. <laughs> it's good to be with you. God's blessings and peace be upon you. I am so thankful to be with you, and I greet you in the name of the Midwest Conference. Uh, Brian Johnson, who serves as our interim, soon to be superintendent for the Midwest Conference. Blessings to you all, and thank you, Pastor David, for leading worship, and to your pastor, uh, Pastor Carl, who is the lead pastor here. It's a joy to be with you. Are you feeling okay? All right, I just want to make sure some of you are looking like, I don't know if I should leave now or what. Uh, it is, it's always a blessing to be in the presence of God's people uh, at this time. Would you uh, share with me as I know you've been dealing with the book of Hebrews. And I want to continue that. Uh, I think it would be fitting. I want to continue by reading the book of Hebrews turning to chapter 6. Verses 13 through 19, Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, to that little church, uh, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Hear these words. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, To the heirs of what he had promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain I I like to say in in a down home way that's some powerful reading right there God is a God of promise he's known for his promises throughout scripture promises when, when, when I uh, retired a year ago, um, I was looking forward to sitting on my back porch and just watching the sunrise and then the sunset. <laughs> you know, just sit back there and just kind of kick my heels up and say, you know, I've done it. But uh, as of yet, I haven't been able Uh, to do it consistently. I'm still moving about. Um, I I found out that I have some residual irons in the fire. You know what I mean? 
Uh, I'm regularly invited uh, to attend community meetings to finish work that I started before retirement. Hmm. I thought when you retire, you just let it all go. Whoever gets it, gets it. But that was not the case. I'm still doing and working on some work that I started in our community. When I was thinking about coming to be with you, something, when I read chapter six, something asked, something came to my mind, and I wondered, are you thinking like I think? Has it ever dawned on you that we uh, come here every seven days to worship? Has it ever dawned on you that uh, every seven days you show up at church? Not, not bi-weekly. Not monthly, not quarterly, not annually. There we go. Thank you. You show up to church every seven days. And I was thinking, putting this sermon together, I was thinking, what's all the fuss about uh, assembling every seven days? How, How come we... You know, we can't tell God, hey, how about um, on my birthday? (laughs) Some of you, you you know Pastor Carl is is going to preach or Pastor David or some of the other pastors. And you kind of got that down. I know what they're going to say. Some of you say to yourself, you know, the the worship team is going to sing some wonderful songs and usher us into the front of heaven. I kind of know what those songs are. I know them. Mm -hmm. I got all the tapes. And and, uh, then, you know, every seven days, this is the good part. You got to bring a tenth of your earnings to the church. Amen. See, now, when I said that this morning, uh, the first service, there was no response. (laughs) You know, I even broke it down. I gave some. I said, you're going to bring your 7%. Still no answer. <clears throat> I got it down to five. No answer. I said, well, you bring every 3% every so often. No answer. So I figured your first service don't pay very much in your church. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but every seven days, you gather. Have you ever asked the question, why do we go through this routine? Surely, we as uh, spiritual people, we know what's going to happen in worship. When I was playing with that question, it came to my mind. Why we attend every seven days, you have to blame it on God. You have to blame it on God. Not your pastor, not, not the board. You know, not so we can, you know, keep, keep you guys, you know, make sure you keep coming to church. This is in line with the will of God. You remember in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read it. In Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're not Sabbath keepers. We worship and remember the resurrection of Christ Jesus. But we also remember on every seven days the creation that God has given us. You see, God desires for us to come together and worship worship every seven days because he has a plan for us. He wants us, a mandate even, given to us that the human race might be good stewards of the world and continue the work that Jesus did at Calvary. Every seven days, we gather we leave our beds. You ever notice how wonderful the pillow is on Sunday morning? <laughs> it's amazing how the covers are so nice on Sunday. And we make our way to the church because it's here we are reminded of who God is and his work through his son, Jesus Christ. The Jewish believers, they seem to be wavering in chapter six. They seem to be wavering from their faith with God. Somehow in chapter six, the Jewish believers were kind of becoming lackadaisical. They were, they were kind of drifting in their faith. It seems that they had forgotten why it was important to stay true to God. Has that ever happened to you? With the hustle and bustle that we are committed to, from soccer moms to sports dads to piano lessons to fixing dinner to trimming the trees to doing it all, sometimes we get so busy we forget who God is. And so these Jewish believers, they needed to be reminded of who Christ was and the promise of the Father through Christ for their well-being. They had to be reminded in chapter 6 about the superiority of Christ. I love that word. I feel big times when I say that. They had to be reminded of, of how superior Christ is, especially to the prophets. Because these people were sure they knew who, who Moses was and his great work and, and Joshua and Jeremiah. They were very clear upon the prophets, the great prophets. But Hebrew says he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priest. Aaron was the great priest, but he's greater than Aaron. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the patriarchs. 
they had to be reminded in chapter six, do not forget who God is and how he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Sometimes you and I, we become insensitive to that, that sacred and divine by reducing our responsibility to God and our neighbor, by placing our, our love for God, we put it on autopilot. I know you never do it here. But sometimes, don't we take God for granted? I'll call him when I'm getting trouble. I'll call him if they lay me off. I'll find God if my child, my wife, my spouse, my parent gets sick. But other than that, God, you do you, I'll do me. My brothers and my sisters, I want to warn you, if you have God on autopilot, you will miss your moments of grandeur and awe of God because you've reduced God to your buddy. God is more than a buddy. I'm from the generation, please forgive me when I, when sometimes when I'm preaching and I have these flashbacks as if my childhood was so wonderful, but it wasn't, it was just regular. Uh, but when we used to go to church, the church was a sacred place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? Thank you. I just want to make sure y'all track it with me. Uh, we, I, I was raised in the, in the strong church where, where, where you couldn't even go into the pulpit. No, my father was a pastor. This was way before I got to be a pastor. We could get as far as the altar. And then they would go, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh Don't go up in the pulpit. I'd be going, why not? I see my father up there and preaching and, you know, God kind of coming through. I wanted to get me some of that God stuff. But they would go, no, you cannot go into the pulpit. I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but I grew up when, when there was, there's a difference in God's house and my house. There's a difference in God's people and the world. Hebrews 6 is trying to remind them that there is something awesome about God. You see, when you reduce God to being on your terms and your level, you actually eradicate God. Because God is so much greater than all the words that we can come together to write and to think about. But when we, when we, when we want to do it, we just have to go, God, you know, You're awesome, God, because we don't have a better word. We must be careful that we don't make God our BFF. You don't want to make him your valet. For some, our understanding of Jesus is stuck in our earliest teachings when we were children in Sunday school. And oh, how I love Sunday school. But there's a danger many of us are stuck in our earliest training of Christ. We refuse to continue to build on our learning as we grow older. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6, he challenged us in that very first verse. He says, it's time to move on from elementary teachings. 
He's not saying do away with what you learned, but he's saying build on what you learned about Christ. It's time to grow up. As I remember, wasn't that that Peter Pan's problem? Peter Pan never wanted to grow up. He wanted to always be a child. My brothers and sisters, God is calling you to grow up that you might be able to deal with grown-up situations in the world. Grow up. He says, move on from the elementary teachers. Move on. He didn't say do away with them, please. But he says, move on from them. I believe at times a church gets stuck when we are only excited when we talk about the birth of Christ at Christmas. I'm already sold. He was born. Check. Some of us get excited when we say he walked the dusty shores of Galilee. Check. And then he went to that cross and died that most heinous death. Check. And then we really get excited. But all comes Sunday morning. Anytime I can say that when I'm preaching, I can move the church. Oh, he got up on Sunday. Ooh, he got up. I want you to check that. But what I want you to know is that is not the end of the story. For some of us, we have no more story to tell other than those three or four or five points. But there is much to the life of Jesus. He left the church a mandate to continue the work Jesus started after his resurrection. That work is made clear when Jesus in Luke 4, he says these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Church, you know we got good news. Somebody needs to hear it. When you leave here, the best thing you can do is share the good news. Jesus says, there are people who are poor in spirit. Did you know there's somebody at your job that you could speak into? Don't put no big Bible on them. Please don't do that. I, I love it when people say, you know, Pastor, I just hated that my church won't, I mean, my job won't allow me, you know, to, to put, you know, read my Bible and, and carry, you know, have a little prayer meeting at, at work. You're not called to have prayer meeting at work. But what you can do is put your spiritual ears on. And be alert when someone says, good morning, and you can see in their eyes that there's something broken. Jesus says, speak life into them. He goes on and says, he has come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight for the blind. I guarantee you we live in a world where people are blind. Not, they don't have a clue. But you and I have the words of life. Jesus says, continue helping people see with new eyes. He said he's come to set the oppressed free. Centennial this morning, so many people are oppressed. 
with the spirit of the lie. They can't see farther than who they are. Their experiences have robbed them. It's time for the church to speak life. That's why he said, continue the work. Proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year. This is 2023 is the year that Centennial grows exponentially with others around this community sharing the good news. And I know you're already doing this, but just in case you forgot and you thought it was just about you, the Bible is still telling us, keep doing the work that Christ started. The salvation of Jesus is multidimensional. Yes, we're going to getting ready to go to heaven. You remember that crazy story? Preacher got to preach that Sunday morning. He says, boys, brothers and sisters, I want you to all know that uh, the Lord put on my heart to tell you, uh, we all need to get ready to go to heaven. So he says, all of you who want to go to heaven, stand up and go on this side. You know, 75% of the people went on this other side. The other 25 just sat there. He said, I don't think you heard me. He says, the Lord told me to tell y'all that uh, it's time for us to get ready to go to heaven. So everybody in that 25% got up but one man. So the preacher looked at him and he says, uh, brother, uh, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yes, sir. He said, don't you want to see Jesus? He said, yes, sir. He said, then why ain't you over here with the other 99%? Of the people of the congregation, he says, but I ain't ready to see him today. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, God has called us not only to get ready to go to heaven, but in the scriptures, it also uses his words where he might say something like, occupy until I come. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning, doing the work that we were called to continue from Christ. Well, in chapter 6, and I'll hurry. <clears throat> in chapter 6, the writer gives the Jewish believers two reasons to trust God. And you need to be able to, to tell people why you can trust God. He said, first, remind them that God's promises are unchangeable. We live in a, a time where people will not and do not keep their promise. But the writer to the Hebrew says, one of the things you've got to be reminded is, is that God's promise, it's unchangeable. And then he cites the example of Abraham, who was 90 years old when he was promised that he would have a child. Now, I don't know about you. <clears throat> I don't know a whole lot of 90-year-olds. Now, a couple of you may be here, but... That, that's a little, that's a little stretch. And you remember what I like when I read that text. Oh, Sarah laughed when, when the angel told her, you're going to have a child. Sarah bust out laughing. Sarah go, right. Sure. Uh-huh. You, me? Sarah even said, my wound is already closed up. Man, that's a slap in God's face. But the scriptures, he, he pulls this in Hebrews 6 because he says, and after he waited, 
God's promise was fulfilled because Abraham was born or Isaac was born. You see, when God promised you and I, the church, any of his creation, anything, you can take it to the bank. God is a God who always, always, always keeps his promise. Not like some of us, sometimes we kind of, we kind of hedge our promises. You remember the lady who uh, was told her husband, her husband told the lady, he said, uh, hon, I just want to remind you, uh, every time I got paid, he said he put $20 in his mattress. And so he told his wife one day, he said, hon, uh, <clears throat> I want you to make a promise to me. And she said, darling, sure, whatever. You know, our love is, we're tight. And he says, well, hon, you know, I've been putting $20 in the mattress every time I get paid. What I want you to do, hon, when I die, I want you to take all the money out from up under the mattress. I want you to put it in the casket when I die. That's my wife right there. So, you know, a good spouse will say, yes, yes, darling. You got it. You know, when you're promising somebody dead, you can say anything. Or they're dying. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Well, she said, yes. And so he went on and died. When he died, she did what she promised him. She went to the mattress, got all the money out, went down to the bank, put the money, deposited the money in the bank. On the day of the funeral, you know, when the family walking by, she walked past the casket, wrote a check, put it in the casket. <laughs> She kept her promise. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. My brothers and sisters, I I just want you to know when God promises anything like he did Abraham, he can always fulfill his promise. But it might not be as quick and as sure or exactly the way you want it. But you must trust that God's ways are perfect for us. At time, Abraham must have wondered, is this going to happen? And it was 14 years from the promise to the birth of Isaac. But God kept his promise. The second reason God can be trusted is because when he promises us, he gives us an unchangeable oath. The oath is that thing that secures the promise. He makes the promises in our life, but he also secures it by who he is. For the text says, for God cannot swear by anyone greater than himself. And so he swears by himself. He guarantees by himself. The two unchangeable things of God is his oath and his promise. Let me remind the church today in 2023, God's word is true, it's secure, and it will get us through this time and lead us into eternity. I'm gonna say it on this side. 
God's word is true. And it's true for you. No matter what experience you are in, you can trust God. Now, let me tell you this. If you can't trust God, there's no reason for you to testify to somebody else about God. Oh, y'all still ain't caught this thing. If you don't believe that God is able to keep his word, then you don't have a testimony to share with anybody in the world. But I'm from that group that says God has never failed to keep his words. And because of that, when I find somebody broken, I tell them, wait upon the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen thine heart. That's the word of God. Finally, in, in chapter six, <clears throat> the Jewish believers were reminded not only that does God keep his promise, but the writer says to them, he says, because he keeps his promise, you can maintain your hope. <laughs> and you can maintain your hope from beginning to end. Whatever he promised, that's what the writer says, he will see through to completion. And he describes this hope as an anchor for the soul. Whoo! That's, that's good stuff there. An anchor? Y'all know what an anchor is, don't you? No? Yes? He says, the your hope is described as an anchor for the whole, for the soul. It says, for when the storms of life, they may threaten to push your ship, your life off course, that anchor will protect you from the rocks. That anchor is firmly connected to your life, to everything that you are about. God is firmly connected to you. This anchor that God is because his word and his promise is true. He's saying because his word is his word, it will never break. It will never bend. It's always standing firm. Even though your life seems to be in a turbulent moment, the anchor is keeping you from being shipwrecked. Oh, that's a great sermon right there. Paul, Paul on his ship, he was shipwrecked. And he says, except we hold on to these pieces, we won't make it to show God is in the business of saving people in the midst of their storms. Because he said, I promise never to leave you, never to leave you alone, no matter how hard the sea is raging. The anchor is cast in the waters. And it keeps you safe and secure. Even though all around you, there's lightning, there's thunder. His promise is, I will save you safely home. My brothers and my sisters, as I close, he says in chapter six, God's word is an anchor for your soul. It's something you can hold on to. It's something you can pass on. It's something that you can be reminded that God is yet with us. 
I think chapter 6 is a great reminder to the church in 2023 that we still serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can trust him with our lives. I know the world seems, a friend of mine says, it's just upside down, Dave. And I said, man, you know you're right. Yes, the world seems to be upside down. But even if your world is upside down, make sure you upside down with God. Make sure if your world is tipsy-turvy that you're tipsy-turvy with God. If your world is moving and shaking, the best I can offer you is hold on to your faith. My God promised never to leave us. Never to leave us alone. Please don't trust Satan's promises. Satan promises you the best. But he always pays you with the worst. Satan promised you honor. But he always delivers disgrace. Satan promises pleasure. But he pays with pain. Satan promises profit. And he pays with loss Satan promises life but he pays with death the Bible says he's an anchor of hope that's solidly fixed within the sanctuary the intersanctuary is where we meet Jesus so every seven days you come here to have a moment to be reminded of who you are in Christ Jesus. Not to be reminded of who you are as a member of Centennial, but you are reminded of who you are since you gave your life to Christ. In every seven days, we got to be reminded that our God goes before us. I'm going to show you how old I am. There was this cartoon that some of you are not old enough to remember. But I'll give it a whirl. There was this little sailor. And he had a nemesis. His nemesis was Bluto. The little guy name was Popeye. Y'all remember who I'm talking about, right? It was old Popeye. And remember sometime Popeye would beat the stuffings out of old Popeye. Oh, and Bluto would beat the stuffings out of Popeye. But you remember Popeye had a secret weapon. Don't anybody know? Yeah, when he would get down and, and, and life would not be going good, he would crack open. I don't know where he got that can from. <laughs> You know, I ain't never figured that part out. Where did he get the can from? You know, was there somebody following him with a can? But he would bust that can out and he would hit it and all of a sudden spinach would be made available. But I got a secret for you, something that you might not know because I am a cartoon connoisseur. If you remember on Popeye's arms, you ever seen his guns? Them suckers is huge. You know, if you next time you go look at Popeye, you'll see his arm go whoop. You know, like, like these guns right here. That's just look at them guns right there. You know, look at them. So, so, but if you look on Popeye's arm, do y'all know what he got there? 
There's an anchor. Oh, I wish I could preach this thing. There's an anchor that's tattooed on his arm. I think the body of Christ needs to get some anchors tattooed on your arm to know when life is knocking you down. There's a God who has your spinach waiting for you. There's a God who's ready to empower you. There's a God who's ready to bring you through. Make sure you got your anchor. Your anchor holds. Oh my God, I forgot they told me don't go outside to this. I'm back. Let's pray. God, we love you. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are in you. We need to be reminded of who Christ is. Take us off of autopilot today. But when we think about your glory, your majesty, God, it should warm our hearts, our souls, because you are our anchor for our souls. That's our hope. No matter what the world is doing, And as that old hymn says, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other grounds is sinking sand. God's blessings be upon you.